I earn a living. I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. It's bad fish. This shark, swallow you whole. Shaking, tenderizing, down you go. And we gotta do it quick. I don't bring back the tourists. I don't put all your businesses on a paying basis. I'll find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for ten. Ten thousand dollars for me by myself. For that you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. Hey everybody. Welcome to the film room and boy do we have a good one this week. Yeah. I can't believe like we've talked about this one in passing, but not really a detail. It needs to be. Uh we're gonna talk about Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about a movie that His movie Jaws, not his actual Jaws. Yes. No. <laughs> We're we're going to talk about a movie that I did not see until September of 2017. 45 years after the movie came out. That's how long it took me to see it. You you hadn't seen it until last month? September. September. Oh, you hadn't seen it until 4 months ago. Which isn't much better. No. No. <laughs> wow, I didn't know you hadn't seen it. <laughs> I know. Here's the story as to why I hadn't seen it. Um, I really wanted to see uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind on the re-release, which I had seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted to see the re-release of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I couldn't see it uh, because uh, MoviePass wouldn't uh, accept ticket prices. Like, they wouldn't play it as uh, they wouldn't take tickets for it. Okay, was that, just for reference, because I just got MoviePass 2, and let me tell you, after using it the first time, it is, it's like, because I was on the fence as to whether or not to add, you know, another... Because I have a lot of entertainment expenses anyway. Cause, you yes, know, I do too. Yeah, we absorb a lot of media. We're media guys. After the first time using it, it's like, wow, the possibilities are endless. It pays for itself on the first use. Um, yeah. In, like, a late night ticket, in, a nighttime ticket in Arkansas is $11. Mm-hmm. A movie pass is $10 a month. So if I go once, I have literally already saved myself money. Yeah, I I saw uh, I saw a movie uh, Thursday, and then Thursday? I saw a movie Friday. I saw a yep. great great showman on Thursday, and I saw Paddington two on Friday, which you know asterisk next cast. Next cast. We're we're gonna be getting to Paddington next cast. We were gonna get to it this cast, uh, and we just covered the first movie, but both of us had a window to see the second one. And so mine doesn't come up until after this cast is released. So we're going to cover it because we really want to cover that movie uh, series. So so anyway, so yeah, getting back to it, um, I, it wasn't showing or like they wouldn't sell tickets for it. It wasn't covered. So for reference, it was that Fathom event. No, it wasn't. It was a studio release, but I guess it was done under special terms. Uh, so so the... I couldn't. Right. <clears throat> I couldn't see it. As it was, my first movie pass use wound up being for War for the Planet of the Apes. Which, hey. We will get to the Planet of the Apes trilogy at some point. Just, we have to. Um, and have you seen War? I haven't yet, no. Okay, we're gonna, yeah. Just, that's, the, oh my god. Oh my god, so good. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I found myself in a situation where it was like, okay, crap. It doesn't, it's not covered under movie pass. What do I do? Well, you know, I could have paid for the ticket, but I was kind of broke that at that point in the month. Right. And, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to get on Netflix and see, is there anything Steven Spielberg that I haven't seen? Well, there's Schindler's list. That's no, no, I, 
I, I'm sure that's an amazing, great film, but no. <laughs> you need to no. be in the right mood for that. Like, you cannot be uh, in a down mood to see. It, it'll no. bring you further down. <laughs> yeah, no, and I wasn't and I wasn't in the mood anyway. Uh, let's see, Jurassic Park was on there. I've already seen that. Don't 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 get me wrong. Jurassic Park is amazing, and I will watch it any other time. Oh yeah, uh, Adventures of Tintin, same deal. I'd already seen it, and then there was Jaws. Jaws. I hadn't seen Jaws, and I knew okay, this is it. This is the one I have to see. I'll watch Jaws. That way, I can say I saw a true Steven Spielberg classic. Mm-hmm. So I watched Jaws. Uh, Amanda and I sat down and watched it uh, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And let's take a moment before I get into my thoughts on it to talk a little bit about the canon, if you will. Canon? The canon. The movies that are considered great and you just don't talk about any, you don't give them any criticism. Right, yeah. I, f- I feel like there are movies like that that are in there. And I'm not completely okay with that. I'm not okay with the idea that we hold film to this flat standard. Well, this is this is where um, Rotten Tomatoes scores that were made before Rotten Tomatoes was a thing are skewed. I feel like they are. They're skewed massively positively. Mm-hmm. Um, even yeah. stuff that got very mixed reviews at the time, Fight Club is far more skewed positively than it should be. Yeah. I don't even like Fight Club. Let me just remind people. I don't like it. I do, but but not for the reasons that that other people do. Yeah. What's funny about it is it's a movie that kind of trusts that the audience knows that uh, the Brad Pitt character is full of shit. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> go on. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the audience is not smart enough to know no. that. So no, no, I know it, it kills me. It's very much a movie about toxic masculinity and how just poisonous it is. But anyway, and so anyway, you have these movies that they're considered. You don't, you don't touch them. You don't criticize them, and you don't react to them. As a result, you don't react to them like you do new movies. You come to them like museum pieces. Not like films. And uh, that resulted in a comment that Amanda made when after it was done, which was she said that for her it was interesting that she didn't watch it like she watched an old movie. Mm-hmm. And that's because, let's be clear, all of the hype that Jaws has had over the many years that it's been out, mm-hmm. it's all true. Yeah. <clears throat> let's be clear. This is as brilliant a monster movie as has ever been made. Yeah. Because this movie occupies a very central place in American cinema. Uh, this is considered the first blockbuster, to which I say bullshit, and I've got a lot of examples that will disprove that. <laughs> yeah. This is the first modern blockbuster, is the better way of putting it. Because I'm sorry, I don't see how the Ten Commandments and Cleopatra and movies like that yeah. don't fall into that category. They were the same kinds of films. Yeah. Well, Just different. Was... Well, 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 this was a time... This is to kind of break it down. This was at this is okay. This is the first I would say post studio system blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think that's what people mean when they say that. But because you know the studio system collapsed like in the late '60s and '70s was a wild west time, which is why so many great films were made then because there was a lot more creative freedom. Uh, it was, and this is when the film school brats took over. Mm-hmm. Guys like Coppola, Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucas, and of course, most notably, Spielberg. Still going today. Oh my god, he had, let's see, he's got The Post out right now, he's got Ready Player One coming out in a couple of months. Yeah, The Post was on my docket to see, like, when I was trying to choose movies for Thursday, because I didn't, I didn't 
you know, really care what I saw on Thursday. I just wanted to, I was just eager to use the movie pass. Yeah. But yeah, the post is still on my docket to see sometimes. It's supposed to be incredible. Spielberg is in his seventies as vital a filmmaker as any we've ever had. I, I, it's, there aren't words for how lucky we are to still have Spielberg operating at the level that he's operating at. He mm-hmm. still makes movies that when he makes one, you stop everything and you see what it's going to be. I have seen the BFG, like with it running in the background with like lots of distractions. I yeah. need to, I need to properly watch it. I need to watch that too. What I've seen of it, it's the book. Like yeah, it is good. The, is the book we know and love is perfect. Um, so, so again, we're getting back to the 70s. We're getting back mm-hmm. to this moment. This was a movie that, uh, based on a best-selling novel, mm-hmm. and, you know, everyone always acts as if, oh, handing off big-budget studio films to new, to new directors is some new thing that nah. just happened now. No. Nah. Uh, at the time this was made, Spielberg had one small film under his belt that no one really saw, mm-hmm. uh, The Sugarland Express. But that's not really the movie most people consider his debut. The movie that most people consider his debut is Duel. Duel, yeah. Duel is widely considered the greatest uh, TV movie ever made. <laughs> I I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it was okay. I didn't I didn't like it as much as some people. Let's be clear. By TV movie, I mean of the seventies TV yeah. movie. I'm not talking the HBO modern TV movie, but I mean right. like the movie of the week. It was considered the best of the movie of the week era. Okay, yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're we're on to something completely different in the modern day. Mine is kind of midway at this point, which kind of frightens me. Well, not quite midway uh, between now and then. Uh, my favorite TV movie is Pirates of Silicon Valley. Man, that's a perfect example of a classic TV movie. Um, yeah. I don't know what mine is. I, I would have to really stop and think about it. That you know what? That may be a t- that may be an episode for us down the road. Yeah, Pirates of Silicon Valley. Oh hell yeah! Uh, well, TV movies in general, but TV I'd be glad to cover that one. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so so Duel was a big deal. Uh, it actually played theatrically uh, in Europe. So if you want to call that Spielberg's debut, like his true debut, mm-hmm. theatrically, I'm fine with that. Um, it's the one that people stop and go, okay, this this mattered. So he was hot off that, and this was what, and so the studio gave him this movie. And my God, the production! We're not going to dwell too long on the production because I think everybody knows the stories at this point. Yeah, it was very troubled. Uh, the script. Yeah. Shark didn't work. Shark didn't That's work. That's the big thing everybody knows. Yeah. To the point where the documentary about the uh, making of it is called The Shark is Still Working. And which, by the way, is uh, a bonus feature on the uh, Jaws DVD and Blu-ray and all that. Oh, yeah? Oh, it must be on the it must be on the more modern one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I got, like, the first DVD release Oh, yeah, of the it. first one doesn't have it, because uh, I don't think it was even done yet at that point. Dang, okay, I need to, okay. That's why I need yeah. to replace for Blu-ray, then, because there are very few movies that I... Um, like have like I had on DVD and I replaced on Blu-ray. I think the only ones I've really done that are Back to the Future because yeah, favorite movie and it's, all. Yeah, it's Back to the Future uh, trilogy to be clear. Um, but and I oh yeah, my Back to the Future uh, Blu-ray. I can't upgrade that to more current Blu-rays because like that's the last version I own because it is autographed by Bob Gale. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not trading that in. But no. Well, no. But I mean. But anyway. Uh, but anyway. And Hard Day's Night. That's and Shaun of the Dead. Those are the only ones that I've really replaced. Um. So anyway, let's just be clear. Uh, production notoriously troubled. Nothing. Nothing nice to say about the production of this movie. Let's be clear. Um, debacle is an understatement. Uh, just absolutely the worst kind of production you could think of. Nothing went right. Just disastrous. The script was not ready. That's something that I don't think people talk about very much is... Mm, I was not aware of that. Yeah, the script was in no way... Uh, it, it was basically being written as they filmed it. Wow. Um, part of the problem is that for those that have never read it, Peter Benchley's book that it's based on is atrocious. That's what I've heard. You know how everybody always says the book was better? They don't say it this time. No. They don't say it about Jaws. Um, so there was a lot of reworking of the material on the set. Carl Gottlieb actually was on the set of the movie wow. to work to rework the script. And he was a young guy. He was I don't think he was he may have even been younger than Spielberg. That's how young he was. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, I cannot stress this enough. This was not a fun production. On, on top of everything else, nothing good ever happens about movies produced on the water. <laughs> yeah. There is no such thing as a happy story about a movie that was shot on water. Waterworld, James Cameron's Titanic. I mean, there's nothing. Yeah. Movies that are shot on water are cursed. Um, that's even with Titanic being a mega hit and Waterworld actually doing pretty well at the box office. Still, the productions were hell, so... I thought Waterworld was supposed to be, like, the biggest... Or was it Was it just that the budget was inflated? The budget was inflated, but it actually turned a profit and turned a profit very fast. Hmm. And, for what it's worth, it's pretty well-liked. Um, yeah. You know, the people that saw it really enjoyed it. It's, it's well-liked now. Um, yeah, it, there was actually a very happy ending for that movie. It's that's good. Yeah, it made it made its money back very fast. Um, I just remember the Simpsons joke about Millhouse uh, playing the Waterworld arcade game, putting mm-hmm. one quarter in, the character only being able to take one step, and then game over. <laughs> yeah, it, no. It, so Jaws, disaster of a production, but of course, because it was based on a best-selling book. They were able to get it. It was able to launch pretty quickly. And, of course, the film was a huge hit uh, up until, I think, Star Wars. And still, when you really uh, account for inflation, one of the biggest money makers of all time. Um, immensely successful. Um, what's widely known about the film, and this will probably be the last fact that I give before we actually get into the film, because there is so much to tear into about the film, is that what's widely known about the film is Spielberg was really the reason that this movie succeeded as well as it did because Spielberg was the one that said, okay, if the shark isn't working, we build suspense. Hmm. We don't show it. And it's scarier when we don't show it. Yeah. And so, so much of this film's success is really down to Spielberg knowing exactly what he was doing in terms of building suspense. And, my God, is that true? Because this movie is start to finish a masterpiece of suspense. Mm-hmm. Um, before the cast, we were discussing the question, is this a horror movie? Mm-hmm. I can't see any world in which it isn't. Absolutely, it's a horror movie. Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> oh my God, is it scary? Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. When Amanda pointed out that you don't watch it like you do an older movie, there's a good reason. Mm-hmm. This is really the movie where Spielberg was setting how modern 
how modern horror and modern suspense was going to be shot. So anyway, Spielberg was really codifying what modern cinema was going to be at this point. You know, that's really what this was. was this was Spielberg saying, okay, this is what it's going to be. And that's really effective. Spielberg was really deciding, okay, this is how we're going to shoot this stuff. And I think you can really make the case that so ma- so much of what we've gotten since really does stem from this movie. Um, the plot is gloriously simple. A uh, small town in New England is menaced by, by shark attacks, and the police chief has to find a way to stop them. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And and uh, he's battling the mayor, who is mm-hmm. who is whose only agenda is to keep the beaches open that summer because it's the biggest money maker. So the mayor is really an interesting character in this film, and I and I'll get into because I think that we really think of him in the first half of this movie. But he has that brilliant scene late in the film where he goes to Brody and says, listen, mm-hmm. my children were, at the, were on that beach. And you see that he's shaken, and then he realizes, oh, oh I, 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 I fucked up. <laughs> I can't do this. This is bad. Yeah. I've got to fix this. Okay, do whatever you want. And that's an interesting – and I think that's one of the real strengths of this film is that it has ideas to burn. This is a movie with ideas. It's not a movie where everything is as easy and conventional as you expect it to be. I mean, yes, the characters have, have these tropes have kind of been set now where it's, oh, the evil industrialist who wants to get everything done at all costs. That's a that's an interesting idea, because I think that's a real truth here. How often do we see in uh, corporate regulations ignored? Lola's talking back to the dogs that are barking next door. How often do you how often do you see corporate regulations focus, you know, get more attention than putting than people's safety? That's a real idea, and Spielberg and uh, his screenwriter Carl Gottlieb do a really good job of playing that idea up because I think that makes for very plausible tension. Yeah, it, it doesn't work for your human villain to have motivations that we don't understand. Yeah. But we totally understand someone putting money ahead of safety. Yeah. Oh, God, because we see it almost every day. <laughs> Not almost. We see it many times a day. Yeah. It's, like, to the point where we're kind of numb to it now. We are. And I think that this was a movie that really kind of captures... But the thing is, I feel like this was something that as a culture we were just starting, I think, to become yeah. cognizant of at that moment in time. And I think it really captures that very well. Um so let's talk about that first attack, because I feel like to cover that first attack is to cover everything great about the attacks in this movie. You mean the uh, like the one that opens the film? Yes. That sequence is perfection. Mm-hmm. Because think about how much you see the shark in that sequence. Not really. Like, you don't. <laughs> like, you see, like, you see from the, p- the point of view, the shark. Coming up, that's terrifying, honestly. Mm-hmm. So it's like, cause you know, everybody who went in the water after that, after that movie, like, and the, think what, about that scene. What forty years it's been released? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure thinks of it every time they go into the ocean. It is so well done, and again, you can. It's interesting because really that sequence is what it is because they were working around their limitations. Yeah, and then you see her thrashing around. I think she broke some ribs during that. Yeah. It was a – oh, it's a violent sequence. Let's be clear. This movie wouldn't – I don't even think this movie could get a PG-13 if it was to go before the ratings board now. 
There's a little bit of nudity in the sequence. What is it, PG? It's PG. It wouldn't get that now. It would. Get, it's graphic and gory enough. I think this movie could get an R. It's kind of funny what passed for PG in the day. It is. <laughs> I really think you could have gotten an an, a P, an R with this. Actually, you wouldn't because no F-bombs. That's true. That's true. It would have been. But you realize, of course, the irony in this is that uh, Steven Spielberg is the reason that PG-13 exists. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So you have so you have that first sequence, and again, it's shot at night. Your visibility isn't very good. It's really so much dependent upon the point of view shots of the shark, which, by the way, credit due to Spielberg that he didn't put some stupid filter over them. Like you don't, like you often see this kind of thing, and it's like, well, we're going to put a red filter over it, or you know, to convey that it's something different. No, you just see. The point of view of the shark, and it's that score. Yeah. That uh, amazing. That score, which you know will open the cast. Come on. Um, dum, dum, dum. It is, and it's so simple. It is such a simple, simple theme. But when you hear it, 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 it it's pure suspense. Hey. This was, of course, the moment that really John Williams was made with that moment. Yeah. I would argue that he's worked ever since based just on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Star Wars was great. Superman was great. Harry Potter was a good thing. Yeah, but I mean, come on, Dan. Jurassic Park, Dan-dun, Indiana Dan-dun. Jones. But <laughs> but seriously, I think it all starts with just that simple, those simple two notes. Yeah. <laughs> and it really, again, it's pure filmmaking. That's what makes, and I, I again, that's why Jaws doesn't work as a museum piece. It's because it's so kinetic. There's no, there's nothing stodgy about it. And then it jumps, and then after the attack, of course, you get just a nice slow scene setting up Brody's life, and you see, okay, this is what he expected his time in Amity to be like. He didn't Mm -hmm. come here for suspense and excitement. It's very quickly established. He's someone who he's outrunning that. His previous experience as a cop wore him out. He's there to keep, he's there to get, to get better. You know, he's there to have his family. I was going to bring up, I saw a thing recently on YouTube. It was a thing about how Steven Spielberg shoots his films and something that uh, I never noticed before. Steven Spielberg is a big fan of long shots. He is. And you don't realize it because you're so caught up. Like the scene, the scene that comes to that. Uh, they exemplified from that in Jaws is the scene where he's he's talking to the mayor and it's on the ferry and you see basically the complete journey of the ferry across the water as they're talking. And it's yeah, there is not quick editing in this movie. This is a lot of long, mm-hmm. long takes, very stable camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be clear. This movie is just a laundry list of Spielberg saying everything he's going to do for the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. I mean, because this movie is identifiably a a film from the same director as Jurassic Park and War of the Worlds. You can see that he already knew who he was going to be as a filmmaker. I mean, that really, this movie is just the absolute biggest calling of a shot I've ever seen a director do. I mean, so you're right. There is that wonderful, those long takes of the fairy... And, and you really get a feeling you really get a feeling that Amity is a real community. That's the thing that I really like about this is 
you really believe this is a genuine community. This is a world. Uh, it's really well etched out. Um, one of the townspeople, by the way, in the film is Carl Gottlieb himself. Uh, you get a real sense of, okay, the fishermen are, are set up. They're interesting characters. These guys, they're these big macho hunters. Uh, my favorite scene in the film, hands down, like my favorite line in the film, hands down, when they quote all the time, is the, when they catch, when they catch a shark, uh, like after, you know, that, I forgot whether it's the first attack or the attack that happens on the beach. It's the it's after the attack that happens on the beach. Yeah, and everyone's just shark hunting, and they catch a shark. It's this tiny little thing. What kind of a shark is it? I don't know. I think it's a macaw. Got a deep throat, Pratt. Yeah, but but what kind? What kind of shark? It's a tiger shark. A what? It's a what? Just it's hilarious to me. You know what? You brought up Richard Dreyfuss, so this is a good chance for us to talk about the three main characters of this film because I think this movie really. This is a big lesson I think Spielberg would take forward with him as a director, which is there's a limit to how much special effects can do. You really need good, compelling characters. And I think I think he very consciously aped that when he did Jurassic Park, because if you look at the cast on that thing, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You've got Sam Neill, Richard Attenborough, uh, Laura Dern, Samuel L. Jackson, Wayne Knight. That is an insane cast. And then, oh, oh yeah, and because everybody would shoot me if I dared to leave him out, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum, Goldblum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who, uh, <clears throat> the weekend that we're recording this, the Funko Pops for um, uh, Jurassic Park have been revealed, and one of them is shirtless, shirtless. Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> or open-shirted Jeff Goldblum. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I That movie kind of made what the rest of his career would be. <laughs> it did. And, and and you know that Goldblum just embraces that. Well, he, I mean, <laughs> he's cameoing in the next movie, so yeah. Of course. <laughs> he's got a cameo in the next movie. Um, rocking one hell of a beard, let me tell you. Um, I, I, I love that, yeah, I just... So, so, so Spielberg, this was really where he kind of set that in place. Where it was like, okay, if the special effects can't work, you have interesting actors. So he really bases his film on three interesting characters and what i think is interesting is that if you really stop and look at these characters they kind of represent past present and future in terms of your archetypal movie leads Mm -hmm. because you've got quint who is played by robert shaw who is the old-fashioned you know big macho hunter you know he's your 40s war hero he's a world war ii veteran that's he's a trope that we that, that we've had he's your He's very much your past character. And that, that scene, like like many scenes in this film, is much mimicked. Like the, I'll catch it for you. Yeah. <laughs> God, there are so many iconic lines in this movie. We're not going to waste our time listing all of them. So you've got his character. Then you've got Brody, who is very much your 70s male lead, which is he's sensitive. He's, you know, he's not as macho. But there's still a real, in, but there's still a real intensity to him, and there's still a real sense that he's a strong guy. Um, and Roy Scheider is fantastic in this movie. Uh, yeah, he really gives it a center. You 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 care about this guy. Uh, he's established as a good man. He's established as a avowed family man. He's good at his job. 
you like this guy. You want to see him catch this shark. You want to see him save this community because he's invested in it and because he's thinking about everybody else. Again, that's where the 70s sensitive male was starting to come in. And I like that. But at the same time, there's still some of the a little bit of the edge of the past there. And then you've got Richard Dreyfus's Hooper, who, boy, was he changed from the book. Yes, what was he in the book? In the book, he seduced Rhodey's wife, and they had an affair. Oh. And he died. Oh. Um. Oh. Yeah. Uh, that all changed. That all changed. Yeah. Nah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad they did. And he is really the character that kind of points the way towards the modern, kind of nerdy, not as stereotypical you know, his his big thing that he brings to it is the knowledge. He's a shark expert. He knows what he's doing. He, you know, he's a fountain of information. He's the smart guy hero. And that's really pointing your way towards your action heroes like Goldblum in uh, uh, Jurassic Park and uh, Independence Day. You know, he's really that kind of character. Um, and Dreyfus is great here. It's it. It's you know it's not a wonder that he and Spielberg were going to work together several more times. Uh, it's really so you have these this interesting dynamic here of these three men who are very much representing extremes, and the movie has a lot of fun playing with playing off of them. Yeah, with the dynamic, especially in the last third when it's really just these three guys. Because in the last third, it really it's just them out there on that boat. Um, yeah, one of the greatest shots. The chief is uh, shoveling chum into the water. Yep. It's like, yeah, you want to try shoveling this shit? And then just suddenly, nah! The shot where you see the shark in the background, and it's just coming slowly, and everybody's just, they're, they're in the present. Spielberg uses his space in this movie so damned well. My God, the geometry of this movie is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, because again... He just plays on the fact that we see it coming, no one does, and we're waiting for that moment where everyone understands it. Mm-hmm. And it is so brilliantly executed. Uh, again, it's another testament to the fact that he does like his long shots. You know, because another director might have handled it by, we're going to quickly cut to the shark, then we're cu- going to cut back. Then we're going to cut to the shark, then we're going to cut back. And he just trusts us to be watching in the foreground Mm-hmm. And it's oh man, and it because I cannot stress this enough. The scares in this movie are just as effective today as they ever were. Yeah, I mean, this movie has not lost a beat in terms of being utterly terrifying. And you rarely get to say that. I think about movies of this age. I think even The Exorcist has, to be perfectly honest, has been dulled a bit by time. I mean, I, I think The Exorcist is a masterpiece of a film. I think it is an absolutely brilliant work of cinema. Mm-hmm. But is it scary? I kind of don't know. Yeah, it's at least existentially frightening. It's existentially uh, frightening, but I think it's more interesting than it is scary. Yeah, there's there's a there's a story on the uh, special features of the DVD version I have, Jaws, uh, where Spielberg was in editing, like he's still in like the editing and like test audience phase. Like there was a thing that he decided to like, shoot and add in, which was the scare with, um, you know, like, where Brody's deep-sea diving and and checking out some wreckage. 
And then, yes. like, that, yeah, that body comes out, and it's a jump scare. And he decided to add that in there as just one one more little thing for the audience. Which it works. It worked wonderfully, but it also detracted from some of the scares later on. And that was, huh. that was kind of a lesson for him, like, as far as balance. Because, you know, after that, it sets the audience on edge, and they're more prepared for it. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't know, it's an effective scare. Um, he left it in, I mean, but it just... He just noted it, and it's like, hmm. <laughs> God, let's note that the editor on this was the uh, great uh, Verna Fields, I believe. If I get this wrong, I'm sorry. Great editor. Uh, did a tremendous job. Uh, so this is, we really have got to give as much credit to the editing as we can here. Yeah. Be- because, the, the, seriously, this movie is a masterpiece of editing, and that's not all on the director. That's really on the editor right there. Mm-hmm. You know, let's give some hard love to the editor. We we like editors on the film room. We've had an editor on the film room. We have. Or one of one of uh, half of the film room is an editor. <laughs> yep, that is true. That is true. So again, I I just I I love that about this film that that you do have so much great editing uh in it. So many again, there are just so many great shots in this movie that just make it terrifying. I mean, really, the atmosphere of this movie is just so pervasively intense. And I think it helps that the people that are in danger here are families. Children are in danger. And children die. They do, yes. Yeah, there's one that kind of pushes the plot over the edge into, you know, what it needs to be. Yeah, where it's, okay, a kid dies, and it's a... And you know, the scary thing about that death is it's not a thrashing death. Yeah, it's just quick. It is very quick. Like that, it's such a startling moment in the film when, like the, at the funeral, like the the mother come like still in her funeral garb and, like you know, black veil and everything goes up to Chief Brody and just smacks him across the face and you know basically says shame on you, for for letting this happen. And that's the whole idea is it's it's that conflict between, do we keep the beach open and make and uh, mm-hmm. make money and hope that the shark hasn't come in to feed, you know, just hope that it's gone away. What do we do? And they don't do that. They, they go on ahead and, you know, they have to close the beaches ultimately, and they have to go find it. And it's, it's interesting. I like the way that they set up the shark in this movie. It's the ultimate boogeyman. It has no ends. All it wants to do is feed. It's come into this area to feed. And that's all it wants to do. It's it, it, it. There's no there's no malice behind it. There's no. It's just pure animal instinct, and the movie captures that. And I I really like that. That's kind of where the movie is. Is that it's it's man versus nature fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And nature doesn't have an intelligence. Nature can't be reasoned with. Nature can't be told go away. Mm-hmm. It has to be stopped. And this movie thrives on it I, again the movies like this are so exciting to me when you find them because really and truly <clears throat> this is this is a modern style film i i really don't know any other way to put it beyond this is a very modern film and i think that nihilism about there's a certain nihilism to man versus nature because man never does very good in man versus nature if you stop to think about it not really no Brody's a family man. At one point, his children are endangered, and that really breaks him. 
it, it is a personal revenge. It is a personal revenge story for him. You know, when that happens, it becomes, I have to do this to protect my family. And that's such a primal idea. A, you know, a man protecting his young and his mate <clears throat> and, and, and setting this primal idea against a resort town. That's yeah. fascinating. It is. I mean, that's some, that's some real high idea stuff here. And, and again, I love all the facts we get about sharks. You do learn so much about sharks in this movie, um, which has to be expected. It's to be expected. It's a shark movie. You learn about sharks. Um, I don't know how much of the information is accurate, um, but I... Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's kind of been put forth that sharks maybe aren't as dangerous as all that. Well, to the end of his life, Peter Benchley was a an avid shark conservationist. Yeah, because I think this movie single-handedly, you know, the dark side of it is that it really kind of... People started hunting sharks. Yeah. And, like, some breeds uh, either to extinction or, like, almost to extinction. And, yeah, as I said, Peter Benchley did not like that. He actually went so far as to become an avid shark conservationist. Yeah. Because it bothered him. It haunted him. I bet it did. You know, that something that he had done had become this. It really bothered him. So to the end of his life, he was a, he was a conservationist. Um, so th- that's interesting to me. Um, but of course, we've we, we got to talk about, you have this amazing idea going through the, that is the one challenging thing about a movie like this, is that it's hard to say what you don't think works. Mm-hmm. Because I can't even say, well, the cinematography is dated. It's not. This is a gorgeous looking movie. Yeah. <laughs> God, this is a great looking movie. It 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 really is. It it's it's a very bright film. I think that's something I think is interesting about shark movies that you have to do that you can't do with other genre films like this. Is you can't do darkness. You can't do nighttime scares. Aside from the first one. It all has to be bright in the daylight because why else would people be swimming? Mm-hmm. So you have to make scares out of light. And of course, what you can do is have the advantage that water masks the shark. And that's how you hide the shark. And that's not it's perfectly fine. You're not cheating that way. Which is terrifying, though. <laughs> it is terrifying. And it helps, again, to cement the idea that nature is terrifying. Because all these people in this big open water... It could be anywhere. Yeah. I just, I, I relish so much of this. The, the vertigo shot. We have to talk about the use of the, ver- I was going to bring that up earlier, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's iconic. Ro- of course it is. It's, it's, I think it's not just one of the better uses of that, uh, particular shot, but probably among the best, at least in the top five, it is the best use of that shot. Mm-hmm. Not in Vertigo. Not That's in Vertigo. How I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. The shot is conveys so much terror. It like is. just the just the you know all the security that they put forth and he's on the watch and then he sees it happening, he's like, Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh like what am I gonna do? Um so because we are running short for time now, I do want to talk about one of my favorite scenes in the third act of the you know, let's talk about the great extended sequence on the boat. Yeah. Oh, the yeah, that happens at night. It's like where they're all drinking. You that's where you really get the payoff to how well these characters have been cast 
and how much you like these men because you're having fun sitting there having drinks with them. Look, look, I was I, I was having a pint while I was watching the movie. Yeah, it's a good movie to it's a good movie to drink to, really. It is a very good drinking movie. It is an awesome drink because it holds your attention. Mm-hmm. You're never for a second board. No. But that, but in that sequence, you really do feel like you're on the boat with these men. It's fun, and you really—it's one of the better examples of male bonding I've ever seen in a film. Where the scene where they're comparing their scars. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I forgot about and that. Re- and you really get the sense that Hooper is really trying consciously to prove his masculinity, to prove that yes, he is a man's man. He can operate in the same realm as this police chief and this uh hunter and it it then builds to that wonderful punchline where uh he uh points out his last scar and it's from when he got his heart broken oh it is such a good laugh and dreyfus sells it so hard Mm -hmm. it is just oh it's so effective it is and then we get the monologue. Yeah. There's a lot of long talking scenes in this movie, but mm-hmm. it's really telling that when you mention the monologue, the monologue. everybody knows what you're referencing. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear that one fact about the uh, uh, in that monologue is incorrect. The USS Indianapolis. It is well known. Only one fact. I think it was when they, the time, like the amount of survivors in the water. Mm-hmm. Like that it was actually lower, hmm. I wow. think. Yeah. No, that entire monologue, I think everybody has heard this story before, but let's get this out there. Written by Robert Shaw, who, of course, delivered it. So it's this, and it's this thrilling, chilling, just utterly, it's amazing. It's one of the greatest monologues in cinema history, period. I, I, I really do think. Saying that some of the stuff in this movie is greatest ever, it's not an exaggeration. There's no, there's no reason to feel like we're puffing it up. It's Jaws. <laughs> but when he gives that monologue, everything just goes so quiet and still. And it's, of course, describing real events. I have often heard it argued that the greatest prequel in cinema history we haven't gotten is that movie. Yeah. Not getting Quint's prequel. About the Indianapolis. We have gotten a movie about the Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and it went direct-to-video. Oh. It was not very good, from what I understand. Yeah, I think I vaguely remember that coming out. Nicolas Cage. Oh. Yeah, kind of all you need to know right now is it's a modern Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah. I love Nicolas Cage, but come on, man. Um. So as I said, you have that wonderful... So anyway, you have that wonderful monologue. And it's so effective. And even though when you really stop and think about it, the only reason that monologue is in the film is to kill time. Yeah. Like so much of the scenes on the boat, really, those are just in there to kill time. They didn't have to happen. But I, but, but again, I think that's the real genius that Spielberg has as a director is he knows how to make the time killing scenes work because he would come back to this with um, Jurassic Park. You know, again, there's only about 13, 15, there's only about, there's less than 20 minutes of dinosaur footage in Jurassic Park after yes. all. And yeah. that's a movie well over two hours. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to fill that time with something. And he does the same thing here. You know, 
I will say, when we do see the shark, do you ever think of it as a model? Do you ever think of it as a dummy? Do you ever? No. And it's it's funny because you hear all those stories about the shark just being problematic and not like the 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 mechanic just breaking down constantly. And it's like, oh, you'd never know. You would never know. No, you wouldn't because it looks great. I never for a second doubted it was a real shark. I mean, I, I'm not even being generous by, oh, well, by 70s effects standards. No, it looks real. It looks completely real. I think it's the eyes. I think it's those wonderfully beady, believable, dead eyes, dead eyes that are so effective that they really sell. This is a living animal. And also it's, it's how Spielberg shoots it. It's how Fields edits it. I'm telling you, there is a reason that people who hold – who are like really serious film scholars hold this movie as the pinnacle. You know, as a you know, as the pinnacle of what to do with a suspense movie, and I mean, the I will say it's in that third act that you really get some of the most graphic deaths. Hooper, uh, Hooper, it, it's pretty scary when he's down in that cage. Man, that is effective as hell. And then uh, Quint's death is that is a shockingly violent death for a character that we like. Like, can I point that out? Normally, when it's a character we like, they die slowly. Or they die, it's it's a soft death. They don't suffer. He suffers. He gets shredded by the thing. It's graphic. The movie shows it. Extremely, Again, yes. it looks, and it looks great. <laughs> yeah. I had actually forgotten that he died. Like, I, like I, I haven't watched the film, like, extremely recently. But it's, it's one of those I've seen enough to where, like, you know, I can recall a lot of things about it from memory. So, but yeah. that detail I forgot about until now. Yeah, he dies a really bad death. Yeah, it's horrifying. And it, it's, it's, it's strange, because again, it's not a death you usually see a hero get. Yeah, and that's, that's at a point in the film where, you know, that boat just, the shark basically takes the boat apart piece by piece. They really did need a bigger boat, ultimately. They did, yes. But after that death, it's like, okay, now it's really personal. You're going down, yeah. shark. You're going, you're going down, Brucey. Yeah, it was really nice when... It really makes you care. It makes you feel a sense of relief when that damn thing is finally dead. Ah, oh, that's such a great climax. And it dies a, it dies a nasty death. Mm-hmm. Smile, you son of a... It's glorious. Uh, and then the movie ends with just a... You're just kind of left breathing when it... And it's to the film's credit. It ends immediately. Mm-hmm. When that thing is dead, and they're in the water, and they're heading back to shore, it's over. It's over. No more. The, the, the movie does not continue from there. And I like that. I like that. There's no denouement, because there doesn't need to be. No. no. The shark is dead. The shark is dead, the story is over. Exactly. So let's talk about the fact that the story wasn't over. Because we do have to briefly touch on the sequels. Yeah, I haven't seen any of them. I just kind, yeah. of, I just kind of forget that they exist. Look, if I hadn't seen Jaws until just recently, do you think I've seen the sequels? God, no. I do know. Uh, that uh, 
Jaws 3 or Jaws 3D was supposed, like, from the beginning was supposed to be, like, you know, officially licensed parody. It was going to be a National Lampoon parody written by John Hughes. It was supposed to, yeah, it was supposed to be called uh, Jaws 3 Human Zero, Mm. which actually, to me, is kind of funny. (laughs) Spielberg said no. Spielberg is the one that said, nope, Yeah, not doing it. I didn't know that bit, but uh, yeah, I can believe I th- that. I want, to, I want to say that's what happened. Um, I know the script is out there. Uh, it may be online. Um, I know it's at least circulated over the years. Uh, it's not unknown. Jaws 2 is generally considered by people to be a pretty good shark movie. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Like, I think Todd Norris, my first film professor, said, yeah, Jaws is way up here. Jaws 2 was kind of... And then he puts his hand about midway. Jaws 3 and 4, way down there. Yeah. John, let's just take a moment to, to acknowledge how shocking it is that it's been 31 years since the last Jaws movie. Hmm. Wow. Universal, uh, because, okay, Jaws 3 was co-written by one of my favorite writers of all time, Richard Matheson. Clearly doing it for a paycheck, because I would like to remind people of Matheson's credits, which include yeah. the original novel, I Am Legend, The Twilight, Stir of Echoes. The Twilight Zone? If if you're thinking of a great Twilight Zone episode and it wasn't written by Rod Serling, it was probably written by Richard Matheson. Nightmare at 20,000 Feet was his. <clears throat> but, but anyway, so you see my point. Matheson was clearly just taking a paycheck for this one. And, so, and then Jaws 4 is legendary for being one of the worst sequels ever made. That's the movie that Michael Caine couldn't pick up his first Oscar because he was too busy shooting it. Oh, Michael Caine was in that? Yep. He has famously said he never saw the movie, but he saw the house that it built. (laughs) And and the house was lovely. So, yeah. (laughs) That's that's a funny statement, actually. It is, and I I, I have no doubt he's never seen it. Um, Yeah. I wouldn't... I wouldn't. So and so, as I said, Universal has ever since just let the franchise sit. And it's interesting because I heard a theory once that if you really get right down to it, I can tell you what the exact mistake they made with this movie is. And it was noted on 80s All Over, uh, which is my favorite podcast. And uh, they noted the big mistake they made was they decided to continue so that all the sequels were about the Brody family and how they encounter sharks. Hmm. Hmm. No. No. The idea that I've heard is that what if Jaws had become an anthology a la Cloverfield or what they considered doing for the uh, uh, Halloween franchise and tried to do with the third movie and after that had to give it up, which is what if it was an anthology? Which I guess for, you know, briefly touching on that, uh, because of that, people didn't like it when it came out but it's gained some clout since halloween 3 oh yeah halloween 3 is probably the best liked of all the sequels really halloween 3 is halloween 3 is a really cool concept and if it were just season of the witch just that as a horror movie it would pro- i i wouldn't say it's be- it would be an it would become a horror classic because i think at this point it has become a horror classic but i think it would be a major mainstream horror classic and then we probably would have had six more sequels that we didn't need to it, so go figure. Horror, horror, horror likes its sequels. It does, and I don't think that's necessary 
The idea that I've heard put forward, though, is seriously, do it as an anthology. Because if you think about it, why could The Shallows from a couple years ago, or 47 Meters Down, both of which were pretty big hits, why wouldn't those work as Jaws movies? Why wouldn't they work in that, you know, in a branded anthology? That's what you could do to exploit the brand. But I think at the end of the day, the hard truth is Jaws was a one and done. It, it, it couldn't be replicated. It couldn't be continued. It is a story about a single shark attacking a community. When, when the shark is dead, that's the end of the story. You can't do a sequel about, well, another one comes in. You can do multiple Jurassic Parks because, well, cloning and all that. Cloning and they don't learn. They never learn their lesson. They never learn their lesson. And you have characters. You have a mythology. You have an idea. Now, the new one looks atrocious. I'm going to be honest. I, I am not feeling the new one at all. If this movie has any legacy that it's defined by, it's that it's the dawn of Steven Spielberg. It is this incredible talent that we are so lucky to have gotten to see in his prime calling his shot. And I love the fact that think about how many directors from the seventies are still working in the first place. And then think about how many are trying to do something as crazy ambitious as ready player one. How many direct, I, I, I think there's, I think of the directors that are out there, I can name only two that I think are still operating on Spielberg's level. Yeah. Scorsese. Certainly. I think Scorsese is still at it. Um, and I think Ridley Scott, I think Ridley Scott, and I don't even like Ridley Scott that much, but I think he's still, he's still trying. He's still trying. I wish he would stop making a movie every year or two movies a year. That would be great. I didn't know he was making two movies a year. He made two movies in 2016 or in 2017, uh, alien. He made alien covenant and he made all the money in the world. Oh, geez. I don't know that. And of course, all the money in the world was famous for the fact that he then in November did nine days of reshoots. Mm. Oh, geez. That's uh, yeah. to be fair. Spielberg also sometimes releases two movies a year, but that's, well, as I said, he's going to have two movies inside of four, like four months. Yeah. Because the post is out now. Ready player one, which he actually shot before the post. Yeah. Is coming out in March. Yeah. Well, they, well, I imagine they did shoot that beforehand because that's a lot of CG work. Yeah, whereas the post was just Spielberg going, okay, I'm going to see what Hankson Street can do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, and that's the thing. It cannot be underrated what a great actor-director Spielberg is. He really does find the most amazing casts. Uh, so as I said, Jaws, what more is there to say? Next week... We're going to turn we're going to once again look at nature interacting with man as we look at the adventures of a wild animal loose in London causing yeah. havoc. Yeah, and I will say this for the sequel, uh everybody, everybody that was in the first film, uh they brought back for at least a little bit in the second film. I'm really looking forward to getting into Paddington next week cuz boy are we jumping gears. So uh you can find us at thefilmroom.org, and please do give a look at our Patreon. Y'all, we have things we want to do for this cast. We do. So give us a uh, – we hope you all enjoyed giving us a listen and give us a look, and uh, you can find our backlog there. Um, I have a column up on Cloverfield, 
1,600 words on the movie. But yeah, so you can, yeah, filmer.org, we have a little, we have a little network going, because, you know, we have another show uh, that I do that, today, uh, I should mention, today's my birthday, so, yeah. yay. birthday? Thank you. Uh, but, no, it's very special, because I get to record with you, and then tonight, uh, there's a live show with uh, my friend Kitty, and we're going to do uh, an episode of The Ship Has Sailed. So we will uh, talk to you all next time. Yeah. See you next time for Paddington.